again, we want to welcome everyone to the service tonight. Thank you for coming. Uh, we are continuing on in the life of Christ to this book. Uh, we're in the fifth lesson now, and what we're going to cover tonight is actually lesson four in your book. We skipped ahead and did lesson five and six last week, uh, so we're going to go back and cover lesson four, which is the teachings of Jesus concluded. So uh, as we began in the very first lesson, we looked at Hebrews chapter 6, looking at the six principles of the doctrine of Christ, and those are repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, which is water and spirit, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So we've already gone in depth on the first three, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, and the doctrine of baptisms. Amen. So tonight, we're going to continue there, and we're going to look at laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Amen. Praise God. So let's first look at laying on of hands. We're going to uh, go to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 13. Matthew 19 and verse 13. Then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Amen. It, it doesn't really say what happened when he laid his hands on them, but he made it pretty clear that it was important that they not be hindered from coming to him. Amen. There was something that happened when Jesus laid his hands on them. Is, is there anybody here tonight who hasn't been able to come to church at some point for a little while? I know Sister Gross, you, know, you were out for a while. It's a lot different when you're watching online, which, you know, if that's all you can do, thank the Lord for that. But there's a difference when you can be here with your brothers and sisters and have somebody lay hands on you and pray for you. Amen. And, and I'll be very honest. I don't think we understand and may not understand what all happens when somebody lays their hand on your forehead or on your shoulder and prays for you and calls the name of Jesus over you, what God does and how exactly he does it. But I do know this, we're called the body. Amen. And one part of the body is connected to another part of the body, and all kinds of good things happen because those parts are connected. Amen. And I think that, you know, when, when you come in and maybe your faith is struggling or you're facing a trial that you know, is really difficult for you on your own. There's faith, there's ministry, there's healing, there's hope that can flow from one member of the body to another. Amen. I, I've had that happen, I would have to say, thousands of times. Um, I want to mention something, too. It's, you never get senior enough in the Lord that you can't use somebody laying hands on you and praying for you. Amen. Especially when you're in leadership, it, it can be a dangerous thing to, you know, the devil wants to sort of whisper in your ear, well, why should you go down there to that altar call? People think you've got it all together. Why would you go down there? When you need to go down there and get something from God. Amen. There's not one of us that is just the lone ranger trying to get to heaven. Every one of us needs the ministry of the body at different times in our lives. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus said this also about laying on of hands related to healing. Mark 16 
and verses 17 through 18. I'm just going to summarize this. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And then skipping down, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. Again, I can't explain how exactly healing happens when somebody lays hands on somebody else, but it's what the Lord told us to do. And everybody in here, either in your own life or something you've seen, has seen this happen. Amen. Where God touches somebody and raises them up from a sickness miraculously. Amen. The Lord still does this. He has not changed. And the way that he told us to do it hasn't changed. Amen. If there be any sick among you, let him call on the elders of the church, and they'll anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick or deliver the sick. Amen. Praise God. That's what the Lord told us to do. Hallelujah. That's why it was, you know, I, I want to say this. Uh, I have, I am so thankful for Pastor David Wright and the wisdom that he showed all throughout COVID, including up till now, in balancing what was required of us by the authorities of this world, yet still following after what God wanted us to do. Amen. If you think that was easy for him to figure out and do, no way. Amen. I thank the Lord for him because as much as possible, we were able to continue doing these things while also observing what we had to do for the building to stay open. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, I'm just going to read the paragraph from the book here to finish out laying on of hands. In the early church, after the day of Pentecost, laying on of hands was also associated with praying for the sick, receiving the Holy Spirit, how many, how many of you had somebody lay their hands on you when you got the Holy Ghost? I did. Amen. Probably most. You know? I know some people who got the Holy Ghost on their own, but most people get the Holy Ghost, somebody laying hands on them and praying for them. Uh, also, the setting apart of people to particular offices and work in the church, the commissioning of Barnabas and Paul as missionaries, and setting apart of Timothy for the work of God. Amen. I, I've said this a couple times, but I don't, I don't think we understand and we may not understand what all happens during all these different things when we lay hands on people, but that's how God does it. Amen. Praise God. The next thing we'll look at is the resurrection of the dead. Jesus was, uh, you know, toward the end of his earthly ministry, and both the Pharisees and the Sadducees sent people to him to feign themselves as just men to try to entrap him in his words. And so, you know, we read about one temptation where, you know, Master, is it lawful? Should we give tribute unto Caesar or no? And he took care of that. But then the next one, the Sadducees came. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in devils. It was pretty much when you breathed your last breath, you were done. That was it. And so they came and said, well, Master, there was a, a man who had a wife. And he died. And not having seed, his brother took her to raise up seed to him. And, you know, there were seven brethren and they all died. And then last of all, the woman died also. So in the resurrection... Whose wife is she going to be? They thought they had him. And he, the, the answer is so simple and so profound. He said, you do greatly err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And he used one of the most simple scriptures to prove what he just said. When God appeared to Moses in the bush, he said, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. They had no answer. They had no answer. They didn't know what to say. Amen. There is 
a resurrection of the dead. Everyone is going to be resurrected. The Bible talks about a resurrection of righteousness and a resurrection of damnation. Amen. Um, when you look at what happened in the Old Testament prior to Jesus dying on the cross, everyone went to hell. The word is Hades, but that was made up of three different areas. One was Abraham's bosom, and then there was the place of torment, and then there was a great gulf fixed between them. Amen. And so they went there because no one had been washed from their sins yet so that they could go to heaven and be in the presence of God. So they were waiting for the blood of Jesus to be shed so that now they could be washed and cleansed and appear before God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says, hell hath enlarged herself. Jesus took everyone from paradise or Abraham's bosom and they are now in the presence of God. And hell, the great gulf was no longer needed. Hell, the place of torment, expanded to fill the space that used to be filled by Abraham's bosom. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're actually going to read that passage. Turn the page here. Let's go to... Luke 16 and verse 19. Luke 16 and verse 19. And we're going to start to get into a little bit of eternal judgment as well. Amen. Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. I want you to notice... There's just a semicolon between dying and the next verse, which says, and in hell he lift up his eyes. It was literally that. He died and he lifted up his eyes in hell. Amen. There is a judgment that will take place called the great white throne judgment. But every one of us is going to be judged upon us dying. Amen. Hallelujah. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Uh, Lazarus was not in Abraham's bosom because he was poor. And the rich man was not in hell because he was rich. You know, you end up in heaven or hell based on your choices about God. And are you going to submit to his word? Amen. At this time, they're in the Old Testament. Amen. Did they have faith toward God under what the Old Testament, under what the law said to do? That would determine where they would go. Just like it does today. If you have a terrible life down here, God's not going to feel sorry for you and let you into heaven. And if you have a great life down here, God's not going to say, oh, boy, he had it pretty easy, so he's going to hell. It doesn't work that way. Amen. No matter what situation you find yourself in. You have to have faith toward God, and you need to act on that faith and obey what the Bible says to do to be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. So the rich man said, I am tormented 
in this flame. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. The Bible says, as a tree falls, so shall it lie. Amen. There's, there's no changing places after we've died. Uh, there's a song that gets sung. I, I don't think we sing it here at all. Uh, but it's, it talks about... Uh, think of how the song goes. We may skip it if I don't get it in about two seconds. Hallelujah. That there's a, a greater reward for those that gladly choose you now. It says every knee shall, uh, every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, but there's greater treasure for those that choose you now. Well, I'm sorry, there's only treasure for those that choose you now. There's, no good, there's not going to be any choosing later. After you're dead, there's no more choosing. After we've died, we, we've already made our choice. Amen. Hallelujah. So, the rich man is in torments. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. And the, the rich man responds to Abraham, verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. There won't be anybody in hell that wants somebody else to come there. You know, you'll, you, you hear things, that, in the military especially, I'll see you in hell. No, you won't. You're going to be alone. Amen. There won't be anybody to see. They'll be there, but you won't see them. You know, misery loves company, not in hell. Misery is all alone by yourself forever. Amen. But, you know, these things get joked about. I'll see you in hell. Yeah, well, you know. When you get there, if you get there, God forbid that any of us would go there. But when you get there, all that joking will be gone. And when the realization comes that I had so many chances to obey God and let God help me not to come to this place, all that will be gone. And the realization comes that I will never have another chance to enter into the presence of God. You know, the, the flames are one thing, but the realization that this is forever, and I am now separated from God, from the source of life, from joy, from peace, forever, is probably worse than the flames. Amen. He didn't want his brothers to come there. Verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I, I look at where we are today in terms of access to the Word of God. You know, in Bible studies, I used, to, I used to talk about this, and I would say, you know, you can go to the dollar store and get a Bible for a dollar. If you don't have a dollar, I'll buy you one. But now, you don't even have to do that. If you have any kind of phone, device, anything, you can get a Bible for free right now in five seconds in any language you want it in. Right now, we have more access to the Word of God today than people have ever had in history. It was only 500 years ago the Bible was translated into English, and people lost their lives for doing that. Amen. Seven, eight hundred years ago, the only Bible that was anywhere near anybody was chained to a pulpit and was written in a language you didn't speak because you weren't a scholar. Amen. We have less excuse today 
for living lives that are not pleasing to God than any generation in history. Because we know what it says. And if we don't know what it says, it's because we have chosen to not know what it says. Amen. I didn't have time to read it. I didn't have time to read it. The Lord's going to play back all the stuff we did with our time. I think you did have time to read it, but you did this, 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 and this. And, and he's going to play back all those times when that still, small voice called to us to, to enter into his presence, to humble ourselves before him, to let him work in our hearts. And we said, eh, I'm busy. I'm going to do something else. They have Moses and the prophets. If they won't hear them, neither will they hear even if somebody rose from the dead and somebody has. Amen. Hallelujah. So there is a judgment that every one of us is going to face. It's going to happen the moment we die. We're going to be somewhere for eternity. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus said this in John 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, he may be also. Amen. The Lord has gone to prepare a place for us. Um, the book talks a little bit about not needing to fear that judgment. Um, I want to look at a couple scriptures on that topic just briefly. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. That is a passage of scripture I come back to very frequently. I think there always needs to be a balance in our lives of the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It's not just going to be the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And it can't just be the fear of the Lord. And I'll tell you why. The Bible says in Proverbs 16.6, let's go ahead and turn there. Proverbs 16. And verse 6, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I want you to notice it doesn't say, by the fear of the Lord, men live for God. It doesn't say that. It says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is what gets a hold of you and brings conviction and causes us to repent. Amen. You know, the gospel is the good news, but there's bad news that comes first. You are a sinner and you are lost and in need of a savior. Amen. You are a sinner and on your way to hell. We all had to hear that and respond to that before we could respond to the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. But if all you have is the fear of the Lord, that won't keep you walking with God. It wears off. It wears off. We already did that once. Every one of us as a child had a conscience that was very sensitive to God. You know, your mom made a plate of cookies and it's on the counter. Don't touch those before dinner. You can have some after dinner. And she walks out of the kitchen. Remember that feeling? When you started to do something you knew you weren't supposed to do when you were a small child? 
Mm, you felt it. That was your conscience. That's the voice of God talking. But what did we do over time? What did we do? Sort of learned to, uh, I, I really want one of those cookies. And probably didn't stop with cookies. You know, hopefully you've been raised in the church and followed God and did everything you were supposed to do. That wasn't the case with me. I wasn't raised in this. And I was taught right things to do, and I knew from the Word of God right things I was supposed to do and wrong things I wasn't supposed to do. But guess what? I did a lot of stuff I shouldn't have, and I didn't do a lot of stuff I should have. Why? Because it's the fear of the Lord is not enough to keep you doing what you're supposed to do. There has to be a transition of departing from evil because of the fear of the Lord into being motivated to do what you do because I love him because he first loved me. Amen. There has to be a progression in your walk with God where what we do transitions from being motivated by the fear of the Lord to wanting to please God. Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Amen. That, that, that's not a, a, something where the Lord comes and says, uh, sister, you didn't quite keep my commandments. You don't love me. It's not what it means. It's not what it is. It's the more you love him, the more you allow him to work in your heart and life, the more you allow the Holy Ghost to form and fashion you, the more that what you do on the outside, your attitude with people, the way you treat people, the things you do, the things you think about, more and more become something that pleases God. If you love me, keep my commandments. Letting him love you and you loving him back will gradually cause you to keep his commandments more and more and more. Amen. But we have to have that transition. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to look at uh, what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. If you've never read uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 straight through, I, I would really encourage you to do that. So these are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Amen. When you look at those three chapters, Jesus covers nearly every topic in life in those chapters. Amen. Praise God. Let's start in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That, that sounds like be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. We're going to mourn. There are going to be things we mourn over, but the Lord wants to comfort us. Verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, during the lesson uh, that we talked about with the parables of Jesus, he talked about the Pharisee, and it says, and he thus prayed with himself, Lord, I thank thee that I am not like other men, and he goes on with his whole list of virtues. And then it says that the publican couldn't even lift his eyes up unto heaven, but smote on his breast and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's, there is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that should rise up from time to time in us. I mean, there should be times in our lives, and I won't say how often that is, it's probably different for every person, but there should be a realization, oh God, I need you. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, keep working in me. Lord, thank you for your promise that you are faith, that, that you will work in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure that he that hath begun a good work in you is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I've thanked the Lord for that verse so many times. Thank you, Lord, that you're still working in me. Amen. We have to hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
Amen. Blessed are the merciful, verse 7, for they shall obtain mercy. It's, it's really important to forgive people quickly. And I, I, I've talked to people before who were struggling with forgiveness, and what, I've, what I really say to most people, pretty much everybody, just say it. Lord, I forgive them. I'm, I'm working on forgiving them. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? I'm working on it. Did he forgive you? Amen. Then say it. Lord, I forgive them, but I'm not going to mean it. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the Lord speaks those things that are not as though they were and were created in his image. So begin to say it. Lord, I forgive them. Lord, I don't like what they did, but Lord, I forgive them right now. I forgive them right now. Not forgiving is going to cost you more then it will ever cost that person. Ever. Ever. Whether they did it on accident or they would do it again if they had the chance. We need to forgive. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. We're beginning to see that more in this country. It's not severe yet, but it's, it's coming more and more. Amen. Verse 12, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Amen. Those verses, verses 3 through 12, are called the Beatitudes. Um, very well-known passage of Scripture. Uh, Jesus covers several other topics here. Let's go down to verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Amen. Um, that is one of the Ten Commandments, that you should not covet after your neighbor's wife. Um, it also says, covet not after your neighbor's goods, just to summarize. Um, if you're a lady and you're reading this verse, and like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's just as wrong to covet after things, amen, if you let that get in your heart and you let that become more important than God is in your life, amen. Coveting is coveting, amen. I feel a little resistance there, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's, there aren't grades of sin. One sin will send you to hell as well as another one, amen. One thing that we put ahead of God will send you to hell as well as anything else. Amen. If we get our eyes on something, you know, I, I don't do social media really much at all. Um, I, I, I don't condemn anybody that does it, but I just find that it's better for me not to do it. Um, most of it is about putting up the very best little views of my life. And then how does everybody else deal with that? You know, Years and years and years ago, I put up stuff when I was traveling. I traveled to a lot of different places. Uh, just very blessed of God to be able to do that. And I've got to say that that picture of the sunset in Thailand, uh, you didn't get any hint of the loneliness that I had being in Asia for three weeks, away from my family. That, that didn't have any uh, depiction of the work I'd have to do with my kids to keep that relationship where it needed to be when I got home or with my wife. Amen. It's very easy to look at what other people have, whether just it's something you see or you see it on social media, anywhere else, and think, boy, look at that. I'd like to have that. When you don't really know what else is going on in the person's life. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 31 it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, 
let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, save for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Um, I think when you get married, you have to have made up your mind. Divorce is not on the table. If you want your marriage to work, now Jesus gave this one exception, you know, for the cause of fornication. But anything else, you've, you've got to have it in your mind. I am going to do everything I possibly can to make this work. And divorce is not on the table. Amen. There are going to be hard times living for 20, 30, 40, 50 years with someone else that's not you. It'd probably be worse if it was you, you know, because we're, you know, <laughs> the things that other people do that bother us are usually the stuff that we do. Amen. But it's not easy. Being married is not easy. There is work involved. Amen. But he said, you know, they used to say this, but, but I'm telling you, no. If, if you divorce, you're causing her to commit adultery. Amen. That's, those words are in red. Hallelujah. Matthew uh, 5.33, the next verse. Again ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Amen. I think if you, you boil that down, it's when you say something, you need to do it. Amen. And don't, you don't have to swear on something, but your word should mean something, especially as a Christian. And I believe the Lord will allow things from time to time where we've made a commitment to something and then something else comes up to see, are you going to do what you said or are you going to back out of this because you'd rather do this? Amen. It, you can finish this saying, a man is only as good as his word. Amen. That used to be pretty much understood universally. It's not so much anymore, but it should be among us. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, verse 38, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain, or two. Um, I want to turn to one other verse, and we'll come right back to this. But, so hold your place there in Matthew. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, and we're going to go to verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. What does that mean? I, I've, I've talked to people and they thought, they thought, you know, if you reward good for evil, then God is going to take care of them. That's not what it's talking about. Thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. It was a common way of carrying things. In biblical times, they would carry it on their head. 
you know, a bundle of sticks, a clay pot full of whatever was in it. They would carry it on their head. And what this is talking about is when your neighbor's fire has gone out, you know, has anybody tried to start a fire with, you know, two sticks or a, a bow? And a, You probably saw it on some survival show, but it's not easy to do. Starting a fire from nothing is not easy. So the easiest way to start that fire would be, you know, come on over and, hey, um, can I have some coals so I can take it back to my house and get my fire started again? And what would they put it in? A clay pot, because it's not going to burn your hands, and you're going to carry it back over like you carry a lot of stuff on your head at this time, and you're going to put it in your hearth, and you're going to put some kindling on it and some wood on it and get your fire going again. Amen. When somebody's treating you badly, their fire has probably gone out. Amen. But when you respond with kindness and you feed them when they're hungry and you give them something to drink when they're thirsty, you feed them when they're hungry and you give them something to drink when they're thirsty called the love of God through the Holy Ghost, what does that do? It helps them so that they can get their fire going again. Because that's what God wants to do. When the disciples came out of Samaria with Jesus, and they didn't want to hear it because he had set his face toward Jerusalem, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven? They believed. They thought they could do the same thing as Elijah. He said, you know not what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. So all of a sudden, he's not going to give Paul instructions saying, oh, be nice to them and God will take care of them. That's not what it's talking about. He's saying, when you are kind and love people, when they're not being nice to you and they're treating you badly, you're going to help them see God loves them and maybe they can get their fire going again. That's what God wants to do through us, no matter how people treat us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to uh, chapter 6. We're going to skip down. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. A very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. That has been taught from this pulpit so many times. I'm not going to go through that, details of that. But I, I did feel to talk about one thing, just very briefly with that. Um, I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare for about two minutes and ask you, uh, you know, when do you pray what? How do you know how to pray spiritual warfare? We, we sing songs like, if I hold my peace, the Lord's going to fight my battles. We've also been taught that we take authority and dominion over things. Amen? You know? So I, I want to look at how to differentiate what you're supposed to do when. Amen. The first thing we deal with is temptation. And there are two categories of temptation. There's spiritual temptation where you're just going about your day and all of a sudden, something comes into your mind, not because of something you saw or something you were around or anything like that. And it's like, why, why am I thinking about that? That's probably a spiritual attack. Amen. So there's spiritual temptation. And then there's temptation caused by what's around you. Amen. What your eyes see, what your ears hear, that sort of thing. And the Bible teaches two different ways to deal with those two things. So spiritual temptation is exemplified when Jesus was done fasting for 40 days and the devil came and tempted him. You know, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. What did Jesus do? No, I'm not hungry. He didn't say that. He said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What did he use? The word. When that temptation came, that spiritual temptation he used the word. And so in the, the next two temptations, he used the word. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Get out of my face, Satan. Get thee behind me. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
you worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He used the word, and what does it say? And the devil departed from him for a season. Amen. When you have something come against your mind that's temptation, and it's not related to what's around you, you use the word. Amen. That's what Eve failed to do. She didn't quite know the word of God. Thou shalt not eat it, eat of it, neither shalt thou touch it. And the devil's like, ah, she doesn't know. Because God didn't say anything about touching it. Amen. So you respond with the word. But what about when it's a temptation that has to do with what you're around, what you see, you know? What do you do there? The Bible says that it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. Okay? That's dealing with spiritual things. But the Bible also says, flee from fornication. Fornication is probably the greatest example of a physical temptation near you. It says, flee from fornication. So if there's a temptation that's happening because of your environment or the people there, you don't start rebuking that. You save yourself with your feet and get out of there. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, God, help me not to drink this beer. Oh, God, help me not to... You might want to leave the bar. Amen. Praise God. So that's temptation. The next thing is accusation. When the devil comes accusing you. And Jesus was also the example of this. He was accused of many things, the Bible says, when he was taken before Caiaphas and Annas. He was taken before Pilate. He was accused of many things. But the Bible says he answered them never a word. He didn't answer the accusation. Amen. So what do we do when the devil comes accusing us? You don't talk to the devil. You don't talk to the accuser. Do not talk to the accuser. It's just like if you're in a trial, you don't get on the stand for yourself. That's dumb. Amen. You're involved in the whole thing. Your mind is not straight. Do not talk to the accuser. So what do you do? Lord, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me, O oh God. Thank you for your promise to never leave me nor forsake me, O oh God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood. Lord, I love you. I thank you for loving me, O oh God. You know how long it takes of that for the devil to leave? Not too long. Amen. When his accusation is just producing submission in you to God and thankfulness to God, he's going to go bother somebody else. Amen. You don't rebuke the devil when he's trying to accuse you because guess what? Some of the stuff he says about us is true. It's true. We've done some of the stuff he says. Amen. But if it's under the blood, you don't deal with the devil. You don't, you don't sit there and go hand to hand with the devil. Jesus already dropped the bomb on him at the cross. The blood does the work. What we do is reach out to our Heavenly Father. Thank Him for loving us. Thank Him for being there for us. Amen. The devil will leave. Praise God. And then the last thing. So, so when do we take authority and dominion? You know, you know, we don't do it when we're being accused. And you don't do it for your own stuff. But when do we do it? To take ground in the kingdom of God. Amen. When you're praying kingdom prayers, that is when you take authority and dominion. I take authority and dominion over every demonic spirit in Glen Burnie or Annapolis or Pasadena, whatever it is. I command you to release the souls of this area that they might hear the word of God and be able to decide for themselves. I command the scales to fall off of their eyes. Amen. And when you're praying for the kingdom of God to come, that is when we take authority. Amen. You really don't take authority over stuff that is coming against you. Amen. You answer that with the word. Here's what the word says. And if you're being accused, you don't even answer that at all. You just get connected with God. And the devil will leave. Amen. Hallelujah. We are almost done whether we are or not. Hallelujah. Praise God.
Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to uh, Matthew 7 and verse 28, just toward the very end of this passage of Scripture with Jesus speaking here. Matthew 7, verse 28. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Amen. That's what caused them to take note. They were astonished. And, you know, that was then, and there were times earlier in his ministry where they said, isn't this Joseph's son? We, we know where he's from. When Christ comes, we won't know where he's from, but we know him. They were astonished that he taught with authority. So, you know, the question for us today is, how much authority are we giving Jesus in our lives? Amen. And that's not a one-time thing. The Lord wants to know from us every day how much authority do I have in your life? When he says it's time to go to bed, so you can get up in the morning and pray, you go to bed? Yeah, and sometimes I don't. Amen. I'm not, I, I cannot stand here and say I'm doing stuff perfectly or even near perfectly. Amen. But everything in our life, the Lord from time to time wants to check to see, um, am I in charge of this part of your life? He taught them as one having authority. This Matthew 5, 6, 7 wasn't an academic exercise for him to lay out all these things. But he was saying, do these things because I told you to do these things. Amen. He taught them as one having authority. Let's, let's take just a minute right now. What are, what are the things in our lives? What, what is God talking to you about that he would like to have more submission so he can have more authority in your life. I guarantee, if you think for about three seconds, there's something or multiple things God is dealing with you about right now that he wants to bring more under his authority so that he can use you more in authority. In the name of Jesus, Lord, right now, Father. Lord, we thank you for continuing to work in us, O oh God. Lord, we are bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves, O oh God. Your word says that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, O oh God. Lord, we submit ourselves to you right now, to your word, to your authority, O oh God. We humble ourselves before you. We trust you, Jesus. We love you today, Father. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy, O oh God. Lord, help us and give us the grace, O oh God, to yield to you more and more every day. We love you and we trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.